Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. This is the conversation we had on Saturday with author Naomi Klein and the good news is we have a couple of signed copies of her book and her new book Doppelganger to give away. To enter all you have to do is get your digital doppelganger to go to social media be it Twitter or Instagram and post the link to this podcast and tag the Tortoise Shack and we let the winners know as quickly as possible. Much more important news, we had a great conversation on Sunday with Giovanni Fontana. Long-time listeners would know him from secondtree.org and one of the people helping to get justice for Fatmata, the 23-year-old woman who was shot in April crossing the border from Greece into North Macedonia. And we have some updates there. That podcast is available right now. Alongside the conversation I had myself on Thursday evening with Emmett Kirwan and Aoife Moore, all of those are available right now on Patreon patreon.com forward slash tortoise so if you're a member it's in your feed right now if you're not a member please join us it is the easiest bit of activism you can do it's the price of a fancy cup of coffee and a scone once a month to you but for us it is literally lights on bills paid and mics on we have no ads we have no sponsors we have no editorial control and we are proudly independent and we don't have to pull punches it wouldn't be the tortoise shack if we started to so if you can, please click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise You'll be carving out that little bit of space for those conversations to keep happening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I am shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, we have a very special guest in, in, in store for you folks. But just before we do, I want to plug the podcast that's gone out on Saturday afternoon. Mahmoud joined us from Gaza. Uh, we've Mahmoud, as you know, is a young journalist, he's only 22, he's in the game only a few months, and um, he's been finding it difficult. But Martin, you asked him a question towards yeah. the end, how is he doing? And he revealed something that was kind of... I don't want to give too much away, I think you should go and listen, and I really think you should go and listen. A window on a world that's so alien to us. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, um, it's just, again, to, it's... Look, look, folks... We spread the net. I find it's always quite interesting to continue to go back to places like Gaza, to Janine, to... Oh, look, it, but this was a particularly poignant moment, so yeah, do give it a listen. Please do. Anyway, that's, uh, that's enough self-congratulations. Uh, we are thrilled, and I mean absolutely thrilled, to be joined in person in the Tortoise Shack by author Naomi, <laughs> Naomi Klein. We can't say Naomi Wolf. Uh, Naomi, it's great to see you. I'm sorry to get that joke in so soon. How are you keeping... <laughs> good a little worse for that joke yeah i know <laughs> I, I, I'm, all my jokes are terrible they're absolutely terrible um first of all congratulations on the book the response how have you found the response overall um at the moment to people who have literally di- digested this because it's very different from what people would have expected you to come out with i i'm really happy with the response to this book it has been very different um you know, I, I I read a piece this morning by Jenny Turner in the London Review of Books that was really very searching, um, reflecting on her experience in the Corbyn campaign, and you know, looking back at thinking about other people that she knows who changed a lot during COVID, um, became you know a bit more conspiratorial, and and that's the been the best part about this book compared to other books is I think because my previous books have been 
a little bit more kind of definitive, like I have this thesis and I'm going to prove it and then reprove it and reprove it and say that I proved it, mm-hmm. you know, a more, more classic kind of argumentative nonfiction book. And I don't want to throw books like The Shock Doctrine and This Changes Everything under the bus, but no. this book is more personal. It's, it, 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 it it's, um, it's stranger for a stranger time, and I think, and it, and and it's more literary. It's more experimental in form. So I think because of that, it's I'm having this wonderful experience of it inspiring really great writing and writers who I really mm. love. And they're not, you know, I'm not talking about reviews. I'm talking about like really interesting political essays, um, trying to understand where we are in this moment with conspiracies surging and left right signals crossing, and and so. It's fun. It's it's really interesting. I'm learning a lot. Yeah, and and it it very much is that. So so you, it, the basis of the book, well, the, the basis, the, the genesis of the book was your doppelganger, your mm-hmm. the 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 other the other Naomi. Uh, you're washing your, or you're going to wash your hands at a, at a at a um Wall Street Occupy, and and there's there are two girls washing their hands and they're complaining about what Naomi Klein has written, and you're fed up with being. Um, <laughs> well, I was actually in the stall and I heard them. I heard this conversation of these two people trashing me. And, te- uh, uh, and uh, did you did you read that terrible article that Naomi Klein wrote? She totally misunderstands our movement and so on. And, and I just froze, you know, oh, my God, what had I written? And then as I listened, I realized <clears throat> that I knew the article they were talking about. And it was not written by me. It was yeah. written by another writer, Naomi. And and so you know, I, I tell that story, and I, you know, I corrected them and said, "I think you're you're talking about uh, Naomi Wolf." But to me, it's it really is almost too on the nose that the first time I ever heard this was in you know a public uh, restroom because most of it happens on social media, most of it happens on Twitter, and that and, and that really. I often have the feeling when I look at my mentions that I'm reading the graffiti about me on the bathroom wall and I really should stop doing that. Uh, it's not healthy. You know, I was a much graffitied about girl in high school and it's never a good idea to read the graffiti about you. <laughs> and yet it's so hard to look away. <laughs> so you, but that is one of the things that you did brought it home to me because we all lost our minds a little bit during COVID as, as, a, as a planet but particularly people who maybe had the means to sit in a little room like this that we ha- were sitting here in as a studio had the means to actually continue to work from home didn't mm-hmm. have to, we, we, we all kind of lost our minds slightly and you you followed that white rabbit, but not in the way that some others did. You followed it out of intrigue and, and trying to establish this shadow land and how we're going to I'm going to say that the linguistic appropriation of uh, of the right of of the language of what you grew up as a leftist using, yeah, um, not just we, language issues, yeah, yeah. Can mm-hmm. we can we talk a little bit about that? How how was that a revelation to you, or was it was was it was it just was it just um, you, you kind of knew it was happening, or was it just a revelation as you as you spent hours listening to the war room with yeah, Fanning? yeah. So just to back up a little for people who don't know who Naomi Wolf is, which yeah. I think may, may well be the case, right? Um, uh, she, so the reason why I think she she's interesting is less that she is a doppelganger of me in the sense that I often get confused with her. I don't. We're both Jewish. We both have brown yeah. hair. You know, um, uh, we both write, you know, big books. I suppose, but it's it's um it's more that she is a doppelganger of of who she used to be. She's one of these people, and I'm sure we can all think of other people who we might put in this category who were prominent people on the liberal left who have changed in dramatic ways and are now um you know talking about vaccines as tyranny and 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 being akin to Nazi Germany and that 
that rationalizes these really, really sinister alliances with people like Steve Bannon. So Wolf is one of these people. She was a very prominent feminist. Um, Someone you, you admired. Yeah, I mean, I when I was an undergrad, uh, she published her first book, The Beauty Myth, and yeah, it was not lost on me that a a, a young writer named Naomi was seemed to be making a splash, taking on the establishment, and I, I'm sure that put an idea in my own head about what I might do, and probably gave me a little bit of the the sense that I could do something like write no logo when I was around her age, you know, um, so. So she 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 was the most public face of a certain kind of you know th- what was called third wave feminism at the time. Um, there were you know there were other people, um, but but she was the, kind of the most telegenic face. She was sort of everywhere for a while. She published a bunch of books. Leather jacket looking cool. Looking cool. That was a big part of it for me, you know. Um, and and then she also started working for the Democratic Party. She was uh, famously a, a, a top advisor for Al Gore when he ran for president. Um, so it's really dramatic to think of a person like that now being a person who um, not only will go on Steve Bannon's podcast every single day for several weeks, published a book with him, published, put out T-shirts, co-branded T-shirts with him, um, and not, you know, all of these right-wing shows. But Bannon is emblematic of a kind of international politics. Um, she also takes pictures of her new gun. Um, she talks about war on the border, you know, uh, and she's really gone all in with this xenophobic um, uh, political agenda. So it's it's a big shift. And I, I and so she's a case study of a certain kind of political crossover star, um, which I think only matters because it's I think it's redrawing political maps in all of our countries in ways that we have yet to really understand. So yeah, I use her as a white rabbit to kind of understand the rabbit hole. When you wrote, and, and I'm going to go back to Shock Doctrine, mm-hmm. at that time, we all spoke a kind of corporatized language. Mm-hmm. We had borrowed the language of the corporate and we used it in daily use, things like going forward and all of these That's little phrases. I think yeah, yeah. But I sense from your book that you see a change in that language, that we've pulled away from the corporatizing, that we've pulled away from the official language and that we, the appropriation of the language of the left is now the language that we speak. And we all speak it, even though we don't want to speak it. We speak about anti-trans. We speak about Nazism, that wasn't in our dialect when you wrote Shock Doctrine. Do you think that's a massive change that's happened? Well, I think that is about more than language. You know, I think that there is a much more alive fascist project um, uh, uh, on the world stage than there was when I wrote that book. Um, You know, that book was really about the triumph of neoliberalism. And now, you know, one of the twisted side effects of the triumph of, of neoliberalism, which was always the fear um, and and was starting to happen, what had not kind of fully happened when I wrote that book, is that this creates the conditions for fascism. Um, that kind of that that kind of deprivation, that kind of injustice, that it is going it, it you know if we think about the 1930s and 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 the, and the conditions under which fascism rose um it, it it's always centrism that sets the table and then it is always a battle 
over who is going to harness the rage. Um, and I think we are in 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 one of those moments. And the reason why it is so frightening and vertiginous to listen to Steve Bannon appropriate the language of the left is not because it's like, that's not fair. That's our word. It's because we're not using it enough and we know it. And there's a kind of sinking feeling that he sometimes is doing a better job of cosplaying a kind of anti-corporate, anti-elite and, position and you touch than on the that left. In, in the book, because you make the point that, and I struggle because it's always very true here. We get told all the time that you know we're we're the far left. You're the hard left, Tony Groves. You're the hard. Left. I'm going, what are you talking about? I, wanting you know um, human rights to be universal, wanting you know right. housing to be human right, wanting to to um, deal with. Um, derelict buildings in, in, in Dublin so we can house people. Oh, that's not hard left. That's just, you know, that's just human rights-based, rights-based society. And we get told then that we're conspiratorial. And yet the conspiracies, it's not a conspiracy to say, which is what, you know, it's not a conspiracy to say that, they, that when we went into COVID, we hoarded vaccines. It's not a conspiracy to say that when we went into when we come through it, we came out with more precarious work practices. You know, it was it was it's not a conspiracy to say that part of what the what the cost of living crisis now is is greedflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but we're told we're the conspiracy that's and we you, yeah. And I mean, this is what I've been up against a little bit. And you're asking about the reception to the book. I mean, some of it's been wonderful, mm. but there's certainly been, I think, these very obtuse, deliberate misreadings. That both sides it uh, mm-hmm. on 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 on. Well, you know, I mean, some people say, well, sure, Naomi Wolf is a conspiracy theorist, but the shock doctrine was a conspiracy theory, right? That that um, and I, and but the thing is, is that's always been the case. Like the the left always gets smeared whenever you do any kind of systemic analysis, you always get called a conspiracy theorist. That's why I don't call her a conspiracy theorist. I call her a conspiracy influencer, and I don't call it conspiracy theory. I call it conspiracy culture because mm-hmm. they don't have a theory. Um, they're, they they are moving from subject to subject all the time, um, wherever the heat is, wherever the clicks are. The point is to make people disbelieve what is right in front of them. Um, the point is to to keep people in that kind of destabilized state. For a person like Bannon, right? I think there's there's a different point for some for somebody who's a lower level influencer like Wolf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think Bannon has a kind of a galaxy brain approach to all of this. It's sad to say, where I think he he is a true chaos conductor. Can I, um, can I, I just want to let people know from an Irish perspective? Don't forget. That RT fell over themselves to get Steve Bannon on and News Talk went to the, to the trouble of actually saying, hi, Steve, this is such and such from News Talk on Twitter saying, can you please come on and have a chat with us? These are supposed to be, again, because we're unapologetic of the left, we're in the wrong, Martin. But yeah. this is the mainstream media here who we're supposed to believe are up, upholding balance, you know? Sure. I mean, no, but, but we have to pay attention to Bannon because he is... He is um, an international figure and in some ways, you know, t- through this twisted mirror of what are they doing better than us... I mean, I hate to say this, but Steve Bannon takes internationalism more seriously than large parts of the left in the sense that he is very deliberately building an international network of far-right parties across borders, you know, that weaves together figures like Bolsonaro and Giorgio Maloney. And, you know, um, he, he, like, there's, I think Ireland has always had a very internationalist left, but the U.S. left is so parochial, you know, and to watch to watch like more sort of awareness of what is happening in other countries 
on a show like that than you would ever find on, you know, a lot of sort of center left platforms is a little destabilizing. You mentioned Bannon Chase's heat. And Mm. it's an issue that I'm very interested in. It's been said a few times to me about chasing heat, but Bannon chasing heat has, and and others like Bannon chasing heat has led mainstream media to do the same. It's all about clicks. Mm -hmm. It's all about engagement. Do you think the right is just absolutely dragging the mainstream media to the right? I don't know if it's the right that's doing it. It's certainly the platforms that are doing it. You know, and I mean, I've been really struck since just talking about the book here in the UK Every almost every interview wants me to talk about Russell Brand, talk about Andrew Tate, and then they package the interviews as being about them because that is where the heat is. And that is not that diff- different from what I watched Russell Brand do during COVID, where he realized that if he put like the Great Reset as one of his tags, he would get this flood of new listeners and viewers. And then he just went back to it and back to it in more conspiratorial terms, even though I know he knows that it's bullshit because he read an article of mine on the air, the first thing he did, saying it was that, that it was a bullshit conspiracy theory, that none of this was hidden, that it was just what Davos does. But he got so many new viewers because he used that tag that then he gave them what they wanted, right? Here's again and again and again. An argument in search of an audience. Well, it's audience capture at any rate. But yeah, so I don't know. Is it the right that is doing it or is it just this desperate sort of quest for relevance. Yes. For, yeah. Yeah. The, the need to stay in the game. Sure. Yeah. And and that is what, you know, like Wolf is, you know, she, this is a book about, 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 about my doppelganger. And the thing about doppelganger books is that you do always end up seeing yourself in sort of twisted form. And, you know, when I think about what led her down this really dangerous path, I, I think that's at the center of it. She's so, she, she's so needy for these clicks and you know even now if you go on her twitter account you'll see that she's bragging about the fact that my book has gotten her more followers you know because when you're in that mindset you're in like you you don't you measure success in volume it has nothing to do with what you're saying or why it's happening or mm-hmm. if those new followers are just following her to see what ridiculous things she's going to say it's, it's bulk you know i yeah. say in the book it's clout clout squats yeah, it, yeah. It, it it just takes up space for its own sake just just to, just to go on to the book for a moment again there's a there's a great phrase you said you know one of the conspiracy theories is is obviously you know the adenochrome conspiracy theory and you say well it's obviously that's bullshit but capitalism is sucking us dry mm-hmm. and we're not doing a better job of actually saying well you know this is the truth of it yeah yeah um that concept if you but i don't know if you found this like but sometimes when when your words get when you watch language get like twisted and warped mm. in the uh, like what i call the mirror world mm. like then it, it, there's this weird thing that happens where you you become less like the word sort of gets stuck in your mouth you know you <laughs> yeah you do and, and 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 that's i think you that's why i said when i, I want to let listeners i said to now before we started i was terrified because i saw too much of myself mm-hmm. in this you know i was going to make a point oh no this is and then when i Ta- read it, tony rang me actually to say that he saw himself in this that particularly about becoming the brand mm-hmm. you know how that overtakes performing the, yourself yeah, yeah. yeah. your digitized yeah. self and your your double yeah and it, it's just but but which is why like and some of the things you you write about it is a very personal book you write about your son and mm-hmm. um, you write about um you know how unfortunately um people 
who came into your orbit because your your son's of autism. It's not it's not a disability as you say. It's it's just different, right? It's life different. One of my good friends, um, John Harris from the Guardian, writes about his son all the time and 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 how he has struggled against the system to get the supports that he needs. Mm. Kind of. But what happened was some of the people mm. where you tried to find common ground decided that well actually there's there, it is a flaw yeah yeah I, you know i i don't actually really write about my son in the book no. i i i i all i say about about my son is that is that um because of him i have i have accessed a subculture yes. which is the autism parent um uh community uh and that is an it's important to understand this because you know in you know in the shock doctrine i talk about how during times of crisis it's the people who have the ideas lying around who are able to move very quickly and push a kind of agenda and some of the people who had the ideas lying around and the information pathways and the influencers and really knew how to do a certain kind of medical disinformation very well were the people who were part of the um uh, the autism parent community and the autism influencer community who were pushing this lie that there's a connection between vaccines and autism and they had been doing it for decades and they were ready to go and all they did was you know essentially search and replace um you know MMR vaccines with covid vaccines and they were good to go with all the misinformation claims yeah and you heard people who say to you you know, my child was fine until until right, and 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 in the book, you know, there's a little little bit of Irish content because I talk about the changeling uh, uh, stories. But yeah, but you know, I just want to back up a little bit about why I don't write about my son, yeah. um, because he, you know he I use say a little, little anecdotes that could be true of any kid, but I don't talk about his his challenges and and the the um his inner world um because i think that that is his story to tell um and i don't you know i'm really troubled sometimes when i see kids increasingly being used as kind of brand extensions for their parents and part one of the forms of doubling that i explore in the book is the way the child be- it becomes the double of the parent right the uh, you know we do create these digital doubles of ourselves online. And sometimes part of that process is, is, you know, using our kids as accessories to to humanize us or, you know, to make us more glamorous and Mm -hmm. certainly in the, you know, off Twitter, but in the world of like TikTok and, 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 and Instagram. Yeah. The kind of mom fluencer culture and to have the kids are starting to sue, by the way, which I'm like, go for it, kids, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're like, what did you do to my childhood? Why did you make me be in all these videos? Why did you turn our most intimate moments? And the thing is, we all know why, Mm because capitalism is, you know, it, it, it is a machine of dispossession and people are clinging to these avatars uh, and turning their own children into products in some hope that they will have a life raft in, in, in these roiling seas. And that's why we have to talk about it, not in the sense of sort of shaming people, but like really like what is driving this? Because it is it is a derangement. And, and so, so, yeah, so I think it's really important if we are trying to map this new political you know what this what does fascism today look like at the dead center of it is the figure of the innocent child the perfect child being polluted whether by vaccines or by mask policies or by a true telling of the history of their settler colonial nations um or uh 
or, or trans people having rights and being treated as human beings and being exposed to the to ideas like that gender is a construction and and so that's the through line you know often it gets presented as being this really chaotic like what are they all talking about no it's not chaotic and at the center of it is this notion of the pure child the pure body it's what knits together all of these seemingly disparate uh issues and uh, you know including the xenophobia and the idea of kind of like the pure christian nation being polluted you know it, it, like when people are afraid they turn towards what they can control some of what we're talking about is controlling our projection but we also try to control the family yeah. uh, and the nation and, and and children become pawns for their parents in this and, yeah. and as you say i mean it is interesting when you say the child this perfect child is at the heart i mean when you look at narcissism it is the protection of this image of the personal child and all of these mechanisms go into place to protect the child the the inner mechanisms do you think we're in a narcissistic age? Are we in an age where everything is narcissistic or there is a narcissistic element in everything? Absolutely. I, well, and this is, there's, that is very political because when we turn, you know, I, it, it's natural, I think, and understandable to turn towards the self when we're up against forces that are incredibly complex and global and vast. Um, so we turn towards what we can control and, and everything in our culture is saying perfect the self, perform the self, optimize the self, optimize the family, you know, guard it against all interlopers. That is a sort of seems to be a sphere that we might be able to control. Of course, it's an illusion, right? Yes. And this is why doppelgangers recur and recur through the history of literature and film because because they stand in for the for for the in, for for the for the precariousness of the self. We know that no matter how much we 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 perfect ourselves, we can be undone in a moment with with a disability, with an accident, with a bad trip, with a bad tweet, with you know. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so, the idea that there's another you out there wrecking havoc in the world, you know, for Dostoevsky, for Edgar Allan Poe, uh, you know, for Hitchcock, like they're obsessed with this idea, like what if we can't control the self, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what drew me to the subject area. But I think from a, from a left, you know, the subject matter of all of your work, like so long as we're focused on ourselves, we will not be reaching towards one another and building the kind of collective power that is our only actual hope uh, of, of... Busy fools, really. Mm -hmm. and there's, a, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's an element of... We talk about the left and then we talk about liberalism and the left coming up against liberalism. And um, the poet Emmett Kerwin says they'll give you as much liberalism as you want. But if you want to ch challenge the um, property rights of capital, in, they will beat you like a drum. <laughs> That's why it is radical to fight for housing for all. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, they treat you like it's radical. It's the most radical uh, idea within the system. We should embrace that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, but <laughs> in the you, sense of going to the root, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, but yeah. is at the root of it. It is yeah. at the root of it. Like we, it's have, not morally radical. In, in Ireland, we have a right to. Um, there's a right to private property, but there's no right to housing in our constitution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have a big problem here where the rights, you cannot attest that right because we don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, even if the UN said we do. and We don't have the right to clean air, clean water yes. or a livable yeah. future. No. <laughs> and and your, your um, 
Your country, your country mate, um, Lalani Farr has done this podcast. She was a UN Special Rapporteur for Housing for several times. She wrote to the Irish government four or five years ago and yeah. said, if you don't do this, this is where we will be. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to her recently. I said, by the way, everything you said has come to pass. Mm-hmm. Homelessness is, has doubled. You know, child homelessness has gone up by 400%. Yeah. All of these things have happened in a country that, as you know, you arrive here and be told, the economy is booming. Mm-hmm. You know, our GDP is off the charts. We're the envy of, of Europe. It's an economic miracle. It's a societal failure. And you kind of touch on that in the mirror world and in the Shadowlands. The Shadowlands particularly interest me mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. have a lot of people who, you know, recently in Ireland, 61% of, in the last year, we increased the level of working poor by 61%. Wow. So that's the Shadowlands. Last year? Last yeah. year. Well the, well, the economy grew by 5%. We increased working poor by 61%. Again, right. during, during the economic... So, so obviously people are going to go searching for answers because they don't learn how capitalism works at school. They get told that it is a meritocracy, that if you work hard, you're going to be rewarded. And so this is why we are in, you know, this is, there, there are three parties in this conversation. There's, there are the failures of liberalism that created this crisis. And there's the far right that is saying, I feel your pain. I see your pain. It's all broken, but it's, it's 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 the Jews, it's the Chinese, it's these five guys, and we just need to go get them. Um, and then there is the left, which is, frankly, flailing, because we are not doing the kind of popular education we need to be doing to, pro- you know, I say, like, this, this is, there's a reason why anti-Semitism was described as the socialism of fools in the 1800s. Um, and but but I would say all of these conspiracy theories, in a sense, are the socialism of fools. And the only thing that you the, the only way to counter that is with the socialism of facts. It's not a horseshoe theory. It's not a both sides. It's if it it, it, it there, there will either be a systemic analysis or there will be scapegoating. And of course, elites want scapegoating because it protects themselves. These are not. This is not an equal tug of war, that's right? Not, and that's not. A it's socialism theory. or barbarism. Yeah, it's, it's not. But it shouldn't be a conspiracy yeah. theory to say these things. Just on um, a couple of shocking things in the book mm. was obviously when we talk when you talk about Asperger's himself mm. and his little his little scientists and little professors, little professors. Apologies, mm. but it's a terrifying thought that where where we are now. You talk about Red Vienna as well. Mm. That's a great length. You know, um, I'm going to just give you an example back to you again. Red Vienna, as if anyone reads the book will know, and, and listen to this podcast for a long time, you'll know about the idea of how it would build. It would build after World War One to actually increase um, social housing, social good, you know, and make uh, palaces for children. I believe right. is the, isn't that beautiful. It absolutely mm. stunning phrase. But one of the things we've had. We've we've said in Ireland now we're going to implement this because of the housing crisis. But we we've implemented a cost rental model, and where you sit right now, the Department of Health, the Minister for Housing said we have cost rental. I said no, you don't, because it's not on the same scale. It's not on the same idea. It's there's a market uh, profit built into it. Mm-hmm. And but we've they've changed the language again. Mm-hmm. They they use that range. Yeah, you know, yeah, they say yeah. Red Vienna and cost rental. Right, and the media move on and say we've got the same model. Right, here. or I mean, what's happened to a phrase like affordable housing? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yes. So so when you talk about that, um, you also talk about it's possible to revive those situations. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that doppelgangers stand in for. You know, Freud Freud speculated that the reason why people become uh, fascinated by the idea of the doppelganger is because they stand in for the multiplicity of the self, right? We all know that the person we are 
is a result of a series of decisions made by us and made by others that led us to have the life we have. But there could have been other choices that would have led us to have these radically different lives, right? Like if we had lived in that place rather than this place, been into born into this family rather than that family, um, married this person rather than that, you know, and. And you know he argues that we're haunted by these sort of the selves that we that that we did not become right and 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 I think our pop culture is filled with this you know mm-hmm. think about films like Everything Everywhere All at Once yeah, you know yeah. the idea of the multiverse right I mean we can't get away from it and I just want to embrace that right like that that think about these roads not taken where we saw we caught glimpses of another kind of world. And, you know, we we're fed this lie that everything but this most brutal form of capitalism has been tried and failed. And this is all that we have. But in fact, if you look at the history, there are there have been these sort of luminous experiments that did not fail. They were, had incredible support. They were amazingly successful. They were crushed. And there's a difference between being crushed and failing. You know, this is this really kind of what made me want to write the shock doctrine, because that was true of Allende's Chile. It was true of all of these um uh, you know, that's what the shocks were trying to get out of the way, like the idea that there was another another route. And so I think that's a big part of our job. We, we as see the it now in Colombia, yeah. playing yeah. out in front of our eyes. We see it playing out in Colombia in front of our eyes, the, 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 the temerity of the left to get elected. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely yeah. horrendous. Sorry, Martin. You think we should all get offline? <laughs> Do you? No, um, I'm coming around to it, mm-hmm. I have to say, mm-hmm. actually. Really, I have a purpose when I fulfill the purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. be quite happy to step back. Yeah. yeah. Quite happy. And it's purpose-driven, not person-driven. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm quite happy to step back mm-hmm. when I reach that point. But yeah, I think you are right. I, I think you are right. I think th- the future is offline. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we have to, I think we can use, it. it's very hard. It's easier said than done. Yeah. The, the yeah. idea that, that we use these as tools as opposed to be used by them um, and and just use them enough to bring people to the meeting, to, you know, the, the protests, to the strike, to the deeper work. Um, but that it's just so hard not to just go back and back and, yeah. you know, um, um, see how, how, how that tweet did, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's also very hard to stay single purpose mm. on social media. It's very hard to stay single Unless purpose. Unless you're in the middle of a truly wonderful campaign and movement. You know, when I think about, you know, the moments where I've, I mean, I'm not saying it was all good, but like, you know, but when, when, when Bernie was, was running and I was working for Bernie, I mean, I can see a glint in your eyes, you know? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's complicated because you, you're not tweeting for yourself, you know, you're tweeting for the campaign and you're fighting and you're arguing and you're probably overreacting and you're doing some things that you shouldn't do. But the point, it's not about you. It's, it's about, you have a clear goal. And I think that the problem we have is not, just that we're online too much is that we don't have a goal. We don't know why we're online. We don't. So we're performing and we're mistaking, a, you know, you know, uh, having the best position with political change. But if you, it, you know, if you're part of a strike, if you're part of, a, you know, political campaign that you really believe in, then you understand that this is just a tool that you're using for the campaign. You're talking about solidarity, which is long <laughs> lost at this stage. Look at the the auto workers. Look at the pin. Yeah, pins here. But I was just like, we, you know, you're aware of um, Bernadette Devlin McAllister, who was the youngest elected um, uh, parliamentarian 
and a uh, young woman from Derry who fought and uh, who, who spoke for human rights. And she uh, at, a, at a conference actually the, with the uh, the Dun Stores apartheid workers. The posters above my head here: thirty five years, the women who refused to serve goods from uh, apartheid mm. South Africa, who took a stand. We were at the commemoration of that, and she said, "Solidarity." Everybody says solidarity, and it means, and they say, "I'm standing behind you." But too often they don't tell you just how far yeah. behind you they yeah. are. And never a better mm. word spoken. Mm. Um, mm. One of the things you did do, though, is you and again, um, you you spoke about the the need to name it, and at the, you know you, it's not a hopeless book. I don't think it's a hopeless mm. book. I think you talk about the idea of we've spoken about the self here. We've spoken about the self. There's a lot of bit about actually being community, and unfortunately, I'm gonna again too much. We have too many on who think they're leftists who are actually liberals, but there's too many in the left who don't want to convince them. And mm. you talk about that soft border. We need to, you know, yeah. we can shout disband, we, we can shout defund the police all you want, but, but we really need to actually soften our own borders. How do we, how do we go through that phase? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is the real reason why I wanted to write this book is that I had wanted to come back to the subject matter of my first book of No Logo, mm. which was about branding and the rise of the sort of, um, you, mostly it was about companies that were deciding that they were not no longer making products they were they were projecting brands into the world but it, when i wrote that you know it was the end of the 90s and it was the first humans who were announcing themselves to now be brands but they were all celebrities and in the years since no logo came out it came out just at the beginning of the new millennium um we now all are able to do this because we have basically advertising agencies in our back pockets mm. and all of, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty cheap to play this game and movements do it too. I mean, this is the biggest change that I've seen, you know, in, in my political lifetime, I think is the, is the way, I, I mean, I think it's much more extreme even than we were talking about earlier about, about adopting the corporate language. I think the whole kind of hashtagging of, political organizing and the sort of mindset of the marketing firm and even the idea of sort of like intellectual property around around movements and um it, there's a scarcity mindset right like like which which really um you know, militates against coalition, right? Because you're, you're like, if you're a brand, you need to protect your borders. You need to get the credit. Um, you need to use that credit to get more money um, and followers and so on and all the currencies of our age. And, and, and if you're a social movement, if you are a revolutionary movement, you want, you, you want to be as wide, you know, as possible. You want as many, you want to, you want to reach those people who disagree with you. You want to find your common, you want to, you want to find that bridge. You want to find, find, find some kind of a common horizon that everybody can work towards. And, that does not fit with the logic of branding. Like, like branding requires a lot of clarity about what your thing is and what somebody else's thing is, and then you need to repeat your thing ad infinitum so that you know it, your your brand gets stronger and stronger. And that I think our movements have that. I think that explains why we've had these super high highs that come in very quickly, very suddenly, and then these big crashes. You know, and the the, the nicest part about being on book tour and you know being in rooms full of people. Over the last month has been you know, having some spaces to to sort of process some of those falls um, because we don't we just move on like in capitalism it's just like yeah we tried that let's not look back like onwards you know to the next but thing. is there is there an element 
when you're explaining it to me, I hear intersectionality is what I hear is that, you know, you, to spread your message, you've got to work with more groups. But the right are really good at that. They're really, within their field of crazy conspiracy theory, they're quite good at being intersectional. You, you get roped in on homelessness or you get roped in on blaming migrants. I mean, the rabbit sure. hole. And next thing, it's the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And next, so are they better at being into the end the Jews? Yeah, but are we? Are they better at being intersectional? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's fair to you know Kimberly Crenshaw to use the word intersectional to describe that. No. I mean, they certainly are. I think I think what they're better at is power, right? And 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 you know, uh, and I and and watching a figure like Bannon, who is very good at bringing people into the fold. I think it has very little to do with belief, but just like a kind of a single-minded strategic goal that is really just about taking power. And I think the problem with the left that we have is that we, our goals are more complicated. Like we, you know, we want to change this system, whereas what Steve Bannon just wants to do is, 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 is have his people in charge and then be able to cut everybody else out. I mean, that, that political project is pretty linear, right? Whereas if you're on the left, um, yeah, there's there's just more work to do, and I think that that's also part of the appeal of conspiracy theory, like that the, the idea that there's this very simple solution, just get those guys right, um, and then you'll have like good capitalism again, not this globalist capitalism. Right? But that's what the I think the book towards the end starts to bring that pull those threads together. You talk about Israel Palestine, you talk mm-hmm. about, um, you know, again back to you return to Red Vienna. You talk to you talk about the the aspects of capitalism that have that are actually causing the conflicts. But you also kind of outline how it's possible to care about multiple things at the same time. Yeah. You know, like we opened this podcast by saying yeah. Mahmoud in, in Gaza. We, tomorrow we're talking to um, Giovanni in, about Fatmata, who was shot by a border guard trying to enter the EU. So, you know, it's possible to care about these things. Yeah. And I think there's a hope. And I think there is. And I think that part of the work, I think, is getting more explicit about what the underlying values are Mm -hmm. that weave together all of these issues, right? Like, I think, you know, when I say there are, I think there are very clear underlying values that that weave together what is happening on the, you know, and I would call it a fascist, the fascist right, which is about a hierarchy of humanity and appeal to the natural, to the superior bodies, the superior child, um, and that that knits together the border violence um, with the gender violence, with the great replacement theory, with the anti-vax, you know, the pure body. It's legible. It's legible to them. Like, you know, it's easy to just laugh. Oh, there was a, you know, that whatever happened outside the doll, Mm. you know, recently, uh, like a lot of the reports I've seen just painted as incoherence. I see a through line, you Mm. know, but that, but, by this, we need our through line, right? So, what, like, like, what is the connective tissue that 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 is why you're moving around the world in this way and moving? How can we join uh, the dots? Yeah, and I think that that are that that there are legible values that 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 connect those struggles with the struggle for the right to housing, for the right to water. Um, but like, we need to learn to speak in more simple terms about our belief that. All of life has equal value, hum- human and non-human also, like beyond the human. The, the, and, and you know, I think that there's a way of speaking about this that really 
can excite people, can really speak to their hearts, um, gives a vision of another kind of world. Like we, I think we have to not be afraid of being like inspiring as well as angry. Um, can I, can I bring it back to my last question? Mm-hmm. Bring it back to your doppelganger to Miss Wolf and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll come all the way back. It's very difficult to say, stay true to self in the world that we live in, in a social media world. It's very, and it's clear that, that you, you work very hard to say, stay true to self. The things that mm. you believe are absolutely right, that we are all equal, that mm. everybody deserves an equal chance. After you've written the book and you look back and you look, look at your doppelganger, do you feel anger? Do you feel that this person is utterly false and that it is this falseness that that's really the malaise. That's really the problem, that they can't be true to self. I think that she is symptomatic of, a like, I think she is, you know, I say, I have a line in the book that she doesn't just look like me. She looks like us. Mm. Like, you know, she looks like this whole system that rewards this chase for clout and relevance and this and this and this fear of being forgotten being left behind just this sort of franticness to it that you that you because because of that narcissism that you were talking about you know anything is justified because the goal is not the values is the the goal is not whatever the political goal is the goal is you the goal the goal is you you being right you being relevant you mattering and if that's the goal then you will justify anything and you will say anything and you will do anything and you will make any alliance but you know, I, I don't, I don't, I feel, what I feel at the end of this process is like really kind of grateful that whatever weirdness uh, I, I have experienced about being confused with somebody who I think is a very dangerous character, like it prompted me to adopt a kind of anthropological curiosity about her and me, about myself, right? Like I had, like, if I was going to write this book in a way that wasn't just utterly narcissistic and ridiculous, I had to just put some distance between me and myself and 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 try to tell this as a story. And I think that, that there's something in that about what we need, about, about the kind of register that we need to speak about this in. Like we need to find ways to talk about these forces that doesn't make people feel bad, that doesn't make people feel like we're just calling them out and saying that they're bad people because they're trying to hold on to that little life raft. We need to acknowledge we're all in this system that we didn't build. We're all trying to get by um, and, and that only together can we build something better, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's what. Naomi Klein, I thank, I'm very grateful for your time. I know you're under pressure. You've got a lot on today. Um, but I will add one last little bit of positivity. You do quote Aaron Dahi Roy in the book as well. And I think it was one of our favorite quotes that she uses is, is it's not the one you use, is that another world is possible. Uh, she's on, on, on a quiet days, I can hear her breathing. So fingers crossed that it is possible for that change. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you. It's nice to know that we can have nicer things. <laughs> this was such a pleasure. Thank you both. Well, no problem. Listen, folks, we will be back tomorrow talking to Giovanni about the situation with Fatmata. We think we have some positive news. It looks like the EU's Frontex uh, border guards may actually see justice for what happened. So fingers crossed. Uh, we'll talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Sir.
subscribe now on